You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the darknet, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Research Saturday. I'm Dave Bittner, and this is our weekly conversation with researchers and analysts tracking down threats and vulnerabilities and solving some of the hard problems of protecting ourselves in a rapidly evolving cyberspace. Thanks for joining us. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. We're constantly looking at different sensors spread all over the internet. We can constantly take a look and we have different like statistics modules and filters that look at and try to find something interesting. And the Hexon popped up as this really scripted attack that was dropping something that was completely unknown. That's Daniel Goldberg, a security researcher at Gardecore Labs. The research we're discussing today is called Beware the Hexmen, and it tracks multiple attack campaigns conducted by a Chinese threat actor. The Gardecore team identified three attack variants that they named Hex, Hanako, and Taylor that target SQL servers. So it goes into our queue to take a look, and we take it open, and we realize that the attack is kind of interesting, kind of different from what we've seen before, attacking SQL servers. Okay, so it's like, okay, let's start taking it, let's start taking it apart, figuring out what's going on, and we're like, okay, one attack, one binary, second attack, second binary, and so forth. At some point, after like 30 different malware samples, we're like, okay, we got something serious on our hands. From that point on, then it starts like you start unraveling the thread of like trying to find different things, putting it together. And then we found like three different attack campaigns all connected through the same infrastructure. We have the three different attack campaigns that are part of what you're calling the Hexman Trio. You've got Hex, Taylor, and Hanako. Um, shall we walk through each of those individually? 
just before Daniel starts to uh, walk through the three scenarios, uh, one more word about the, uh, the way that we first discovered the Hexman. That's Ofri Ziv. He's the vice president of research and head of Gardecore Labs. We have a system based on the Gardecore technology. Basically, this network of sensors, of Gardecore sensors, is based on uh, the Gardecore deception technology, uh, which we just, uh, you know, expose to the Internet. This allows us to see uh, lots of uh, malicious internet activity together with lo- a lot of knowns like uh, configure worms and uh, wanna cry attacks. Next to those guys, you have the new and maybe sometimes more interesting uh, campaigns. And Hexman is, is exactly this example where this internet facing uh, system allows us to detect uh, this new thing, a new type of malware. And after after the system tracks those attackers uh, and generate this malicious incident for us, then uh, we take a deeper look into it and try to do the further investigation to do something like connect the three campaigns into a single, uh, under a, a, a one roof. This is something... Uh, that need the, the extra expertise, and this is something that Daniel can elaborate on. All right, Daniel, why don't you take us through? We've got these uh, three components here. What did you discover? Yeah, so I'm actually going to go like reverse chronologically, and I'm going to start with talking about Taylor and Hanako and then work back to Hex. Okay. This is not the order we discovered them. So Taylor is, at some point, the interesting widespread botnet campaign you could read about. And in fact, Taylor was partially discovered previously, not by us as a a worm uh, spreading through SQL servers with attacks based from Linux and Windows machines uh, that seems to have a keylogger and backdoor component. And the reason for the name Taylor is very simple. Uh, As it downloads the backdoor by hiding the data inside an image of Taylor Swift. Hmm. This is simple and it works perfectly well because most centers see, okay, you're downloading a JPG, it's all fine. And only when you open it up, the image, you're like, okay, this is full of junk. And there's this a lot of binary code here that contains the keylogger. The other one is Hanako. Hanako is a pretty like big DDoS, I'm going to say, campaign that attacks different uh, machines. This is probably like if you had to think of the archetypical botnet, this would probably be it. It attacks Windows and Linux machines. It tries to brute force them, MySQL and, and, and uh, MSSQL servers. The interesting part there is mostly that it's very similar and yet it's unique, Mm -hmm. but these are less interesting. Now I'm going to reach the hex variant where we started from. Okay. And the interesting part there is that it seems to focus on Windows MSSQL servers, which are really widespread, a lot more than you would think for a non-free offering. And they are incredibly varied. We've counted over 300 different uh, sub-variants in this attack, which means the the attackers are pretty much going, okay, we're probably going to get caught somewhere, so we're going to make sure every attack looks slightly different. Hmm. So if you're going to be like this analyst looking at the list of uh, indicators of compromises, IOCs, you're going to be like, okay, another small one, another small one. But if you look at the attack flow, which was what we were looking at, because we are starting as hopefully said from the deception service, then we're seeing, okay, these are all identical. They're just dropping slightly different binaries. Well, take us through that attack flow. The attack flow is really long. 
It's one of the longest brute force attacks I've seen. It tries out by starting to connect to an SQL server. And once it's in, what it does is make sure that it can hide from uh, auditing by uh, turning off every possible audit method. And then it's going to try to actually attack using a variety of different methods. So the thing is, there's usually like three well-known attack methods for SQL servers. The most famous one is just loading a plugin that lets you execute shell commands. Our attackers don't necessarily avoid one or the other. They just use each of them in a way that tries to go under the radar and uses each attack for the best it can. For example, they write files to disk, not by outputting to shell commands long strings, but they use a sub-database, access database, classic ones, that are also installed with the SQL server to write uh, files to disk. And this looks very legitimate. This is not a shell command piping data around the system that that some monitoring tool could see. It's more like, okay, SQL server wrote a file to disk. Who the hell knows what SQL server is doing? Hmm. Uh, Same thing, to change uh, registry settings and security settings instead of, of, again, okay, let's uh, turn off everything in a noisy manner. We're going to use WMI, uh, Windows Management Instrumentation classes, and we're going to uh, configure them so everything is turned off. We're going to make sure that the security settings allow us to change everything, and we're going to do, again, everything through the SQL server process. It's only the really last moment when everything is ready that they use shell commands to actually run their tools. At that point, from a standard security software perspective, all SQL Server is doing is, is executing a file that's already installed properly on disk, that is configured properly to be permissible to SQL Server to execute, and everything looks okay. And part of what it's doing, it's uh, disabling antivirus software, Yes. Yeah, that's in the second stage after it's starting to execute its own code and not through the SQL server is to methodically kill antivirus software. And it's very methodical about this uh, by trying like, I think it was about around 20 different products, both known antiviruses that you might even uh, have tried at some point and really uh, unique ones. It explicitly tries to kill an antivirus called Bullguard, which is aimed at the gamer crowd which I didn't know was a real antivirus market segment, but it knows about it and it also tries to kill it. Hmm. Now, it's interesting in your research here that you've broken the attack infrastructure uh, into three different classes uh, of of steps, basically. You've got the scanning, the attacking, and the initial implant. Yeah. So you're right, and the split is something we've started to see a lot more in botnets the last few years. We've also seen it last year when we saw a botnet we called botnet that was also attacking servers. The idea is you don't see, as a defender, a lot of traffic uh, to any particular server. You're breached, you're scanned by a specific server, but you're breached by a completely different server. It's harder for you as a defender to connect the two events And after the breach, the communication to download the further Trojan stages happen towards a third server. As a defender, it's very hard for you to piece together what's going on. I see. That's one strong advantage. The second is, all this infrastructure is hosted on previously compromised machines, meaning from the attacker's perspective, he's not risking anything. And in fact, it's easier for him by spreading out his infrastructure to all different machines. So... If some administrator notices, oh, wait, I'm serving malware, I should probably not be doing that. It wasn't a horrible blow to these cyber criminals. They're like, okay, next server, next. 
So they've got a widespread distributed network of compromised machines that they can implement to uh, to do their business here. Yeah, we're talking at least 300 attacking IPs just in a, in a one-month period. And we saw a similar number of file servers spread around the world. Yeah, I, I think I think that this this infrastructure it makes lots of sense for an attacker because stopping him become much tougher. It, it is it is basically very hard for us as a security community to stop uh, this attack uh, at once. So what we can do basically is we can we can try to block it uh, in different places. But overall, the fact that it is using so many servers across continents, across countries, makes the blocking procedure very, very complicated. And another thing, and this is maybe something that you can look at to distinguish between maybe criminals which might be more advanced because they are using this distributed infrastructure. Those guys are more advanced than maybe like a script kitty or someone that just tried to run something from, from one single host that he owns. I think that the second step that we didn't see here, and this is maybe what will distinguish those guys from the larger APTs and maybe a nation a, a cyber a operations, is the fact that eventually those guys are attacking from compromised machines, but they are uploading all their capabilities on them. And I think that the, the next step, what maybe makes the larger APT uh, operations is that they are attacking through compromised machines, but they will never uh, host their, uh, I don't know, uh, exploits and their tools on them. Because if one of those machines will get hacked back, or if someone will try to look deeper into it, they wouldn't want uh, their tools to be uh, captured by someone else. So, Afri, in terms of uh, prevention and mitigation, uh, what are your recommendations there? So, I think that there are several different things that need to be taken care of. First of all, people should, as always, need to uh, make sure that they are using uh, strong credentials. Uh, if they can use two-factor authentication, those are like the obvious things. But as we saw in the past, and we keep seeing it uh, over and over again, people have a hard time to be able to actually manage their credentials properly and even their services that are exposed to the internet. So I think that in order to actually be able to prevent such uh, uh, incidents to happen in, in, in your network, what you need to do is you need to be able to actually be aware of all your internet-facing services as, as a first thing. Many of those servers that we we saw got uh, that got compromised in this campaign are servers that uh, I would say people uh, I'm not sure that people are actually aware of them. Some of them weren't patched for a long time. Uh, some of them were with very very their credentials was I, I don't know they used default passwords or or other unmethodical methodical uh, uh, from the defensive side. Being on top of what you have, what is facing the internet. Uh, is a very very important first stage, and then when you w- once you know this, it will be much easier for the IT manager or or the security uh, uh, officer of, of such a network to make sure that those servers are patched all the time, that they are using the most advanced credentials and methods. I think those are like the two key things as we see it in, in such a campaign like the Hexman. And Daniel, in terms of attribution, uh, who do you think is responsible here? 
So attribution is always something scary to do because we don't have evident proof, but mm. in this case, it's really clear that we can tie this to Chinese and cyber criminals as the same thing. In this case, we're talking about dozens of examples of Chinese comments, Chinese emails, uh, using different code fragments, focusing on Chinese software. They have an example where they mimic a very popular Chinese music streaming program as one of their Trojans. We don't know the name of the developer, know where he lives, but we definitely know that his email address is a popular Chinese service. He writes comments to himself in Chinese. The compile paths are Chinese. Now, this is a smoking gun, but it really adds up really quickly. Mm -hmm. And the second uh, thing is, this is a very much criminal-oriented enterprise. We're seeing both cryptocurrency mining, there's a DDoS component. It's not really about, uh, let's stick around here for the next two years extracting information. It's more in the trend of... Okay, we, we got in, let's get the maximum value we can out of this host. And while they leave themselves the option of to exfiltrate data or ransom data and stuff, but they're really focused on let's get profit running out of this machine. Yeah, it was interesting to me in your research that uh, you described how they'll get in and use a machine for a certain amount of time, and then they'll get out and move on to another machine. Yeah, so this is very much depends on the variant, but they don't, for example, as part of their compromised infrastructure, they don't stick with the same attacking server or scanning server for more than a few days or max a week or two. We don't know their internal thought process, but it could be like, okay, we have something we go and want it before anybody gets suspicious. So explain to me, uh, to, to sort of st- take a step back at a high level here, um, what is, why, why are these three grouped together, Hex, Taylor, and Hanako? What's the common thread between them? They have multiple common threads, in a way. Uh, One of the main things, they share uh, attack techniques. Up until a very late stage, they run the exact same commands, which is not very likely for an independent attacker to do. Mm. This isn't some exploit kit you down from the internet. This is something like they wrote, they debugged, they use, and we see them iterate over it. We also see a lot of shared infrastructure, which is pretty much the smoking gun, the same IP can be used to attack and deploy both a hex malware binary and a Taylor binary in the next attack, depending on the time, of the, the time of the attack. They have the same scripts and they're sending money to the same cryptocurrency wallets. For all intents and purposes, we can't tell the different attackers apart. Maybe there's some subgroup that's building this botnet and that botnet. Where we sometimes see that, but in this case, it's they're really working together. I see. Yeah, and the thing, and another thing that we can add maybe about those attackers is the fact that they are evolving. So, I mean, we, we've been tracking them for several weeks, and maybe a bit longer, and we saw how those attacks are actually becoming a more and more sophisticated. They, those guys, they learn. They learn fast, and they make their tools better. They add more mechanisms to not being caught by different security products. They're good and they're getting even better. And I'm sure that once they will get over with those three variants, they will continue to do something else, something even more advanced. So I think that attackers, just as the defenders, they are getting better and better. Very interesting uh, things are ahead of us. 
a lot of hype for obvious reasons go to the flashy and sophisticated attacks. But in this case, this is a botnet of the very minimum high thousands of machines, all of them servers, and it's alive and it's going to stick around because as of said, it's very, it's going to be very hard to take down. And this is going to cause a lot of real damage. We're talking thousands of database servers, let's be honest here, which are probably containing customer data, patient data. We don't know what's going on behind there. And that's what's compromised. And we see this happening again and again, meaning we can't just focus on the big flashy stuff. We can't just focus on the latest meltdown or the latest zero day when this is the second bottom we found just this year that's taking tens of thousands of machines uh, for its own purposes. At some point, we need to focus back uh, on the basic stuff. And the second is, again, we're seeing again and again, patch yourself, handle yourself. And these guys are getting in by old vulnerabilities or brute forcing passwords. To use the really cliche statement, it's 2018, really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I think that maybe this specific, what they are using at the end, maybe it's not like the most dangerous thing for us or even their victims because, okay, so maybe they will need to pay some more money to the on the power that their machines are taking or they might be, their network might be used by someone else. I think that the, the more danger part is what will happen next so what we saw is is we saw adidas we saw cryptocurrency but we also saw keylogger and the backdoor so this variant can at a later stage i know this machine can be sold to someone else or be used by these attackers for another purpose they might take this uh, maybe this is a single server that someone forgot to patch or or didn't notice about him and, and from this point, uh, those attackers can move forward inside this network. As Daniel mentioned in, uh, before, we we keep seeing people making mistakes. You know, everyone makes mistakes, and, and, and it's it's natural that I don't know any network uh, that cannot be breached somehow in from some uh, using some attack vector. And I think that it is very important to also not only invest in the perimeter and uh, on the servers that are actually exposed to the internet, it is also very important to, to think about what will happen next. So what will happen once one of my internet-facing servers will get hacked? Will my defense be able to, to detect other lateral movements uh, inside my network? Uh, what will the attacker be able to fetch from this point? And I think this is another very important lesson that we should take from this example. Our thanks to Daniel Goldberg and Offrey Ziv from Gardacore Labs for joining us. Their full report, Beware the Hexmen, is available on the Gardacore website. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. 
With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. The CyberWire Research Saturday is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.